um, find ourselves in the third week, third week of Advent? Of the seasonal guide, not of Advent. No. Um, regardless, we, we do, I, I have got the right scripture, regardless. Come um, on! <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, it's a long one and it's also a heavy one, but let's get into it. Um, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, he will clear the threshing floor gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's one that deals with um, concepts of confession, repentance, and judgment. And I think all of which, to some degree, um, are things that we struggle with or kind of don't quite know how to go about or approach. Um, because they're difficult, we can fall into misunderstandings and kind of confusion, and which actually lead us away from God. So what I want to share is some important learnings for myself, um, or, or reframings around each of these things. And yeah, first I want to speak to confession. Um, when I was, I would have been about six I think my brother had just got this big wooden castle for his um, birthday. And around the same time, I just found um, the stamp, one of those like ink stamps with a smiley face on it in the cupboard. Um, and yeah, this, this was a new, a new discovery for me. So after I covered both my hands in stamps, I decided I needed to find something bigger that would be able to hold more stamps. Um, so the natural choice was Billy's castle. Um, and so over I went and kind of actually loving it at the time, just putting these ink stamps all over <laughs> his wooden castle. And it was only when I finally did the last stamp that I kind of had this moment of like, holy heck, what have I done? And the funny thing is, I actually can't remember the end. To that story. But I can imagine two endings. I can imagine two ways that it might have gone. And one of these, and probably the much more likely 
um, way that it went was that I ran to my room and hid under my duvet and just kind of hoped that it would blow over. The other one is that I kind of ran into mum and dad's room and would have been in tears, kind of going, I'm sorry, I put stamps all over Billy's castle. Um, and so obviously, so the, the first one, the first kind of ending here is the, the shame-fear response. Um, and the other one is the response of confession. Interestingly, I think, mum would have known either way that it was me. So actually, it was only delaying inevitable anyway. So it wouldn't, have, yeah, it wouldn't have actually saved me from anything hiding under my duvet. And yet, the outcomes would have been entirely different if I had... Um, yeah, entirely different. If I had run and hid, what it would have done is grown resentment in me. It would have gr- uh, grown anxiety in me. Um, it would have brought distance between me and mum and mistrust. And even though I hadn't really tried to do it, there would have been a sense that it was unsafe to be vulnerable and admit mistakes in the future. If I'd gone straight into mum's room, and that would have felt like a terrible time immediately, um, then what probably would have happened is there probably would have been a hug. There probably would have been increased trust, and most importantly, confirmation that I'm still loved even when I screw up. And of course this isn't, this isn't a perfect analogy because parents don't always respond or even often sometimes respond the way that um, they should. But I think it still can shed some insight into our relationship with God. And I, th- I yeah, I think if we go back to that verse... Um, where Jesus talks, where Jesus says, which of you fathers would give your son a snake if he asked for a fish? How, then, yeah, how much more um, would your father in heaven know how to give good gifts? And I think why we are called into confession is for um, yeah, these exact reasons. It draws us into greater intimacy. Confession is in the name of greater love and trust. The reality is that confession is one of the most healing practices that we have. And I think, I think it's not just saying we're sorry for our sins, but it's actually any time we are vulnerable with others and with God. Any time we're vulnerable is a sort of confession. It's a laying out um, yeah, the truth um, of who we are. Um, and I reckon, I reckon there's huge spiritual resistance to confession. I reckon there is massive spiritual resistance to confession for all of us um, due to fear or shame. And they will, they will stop us. They'll try and stop us. And they will speak to us. And the voice will often say something like, you are not enough. Um, you are unsafe. Or... Um, the person is not trustworthy, and while sometimes with a parent that might be the truth, with God, um, the voice of, of fear lies to us and says that God is not trustworthy. 
and a really big lie that we can buy into, um, it's really tragic because it so often happens, is that we then blame others for our shame or our fear. We say that others feel about us how we would feel about ourselves. So in the case of me sort of stamping, putting stamps all over my brother's castle, um, no doubt I would have made the projection that, or if I had run and hid under my duvet, that it would have been because mum would have been so angry at me and I couldn't have. When actually, um, it would have been far more to do with my own shame and feelings toward myself that I then decided is how mum kind of felt towards me, even though it actually might have had nothing to do with that at all. And by doing this, we further separate ourselves from the parent or from God. Yeah, because it's not, it's not that God can't deal with our shame or our fear, but it's that we won't let ourselves be in his presence. And like, sort of, particularly if you, Nathan, bit of a heresy warning here, but um, I think, like, going back to the Adam and Eve story, I think I can't help but read it and think it's unlikely that they were banished from the garden. It seems to me that um, so often, just like we do, just like people do every day, when we when, when they ate from the tree and felt a sense of shame, it seems to me very likely that they would have gapped it out of God's presence because they felt like they weren't worthy. And, um, yeah, and then attributed it to God. I think that makes a lot of sense. I can see people doing that. Um, yeah, and what they, what they probably meant is that we are angry and ashamed of ourselves. And this, this lie... This kind of projection of our shame and fear is a lie that we must speak against. Because real and deep confession will always meet great resistance. When we hear that voice lying to us that God doesn't want us, that we're not good enough, we must know that it is shame speaking or fear speaking or insert the word that um, yeah, sits the most with you. Because it's, it's the voice that tries and so often successfully stops us from entering God's loving embrace. That's actually always there. It's always there. Yeah, so point one, confession means fighting against the voice of shame and fear. Confession means fighting against the voice of shame and fear. And as in um, the verse, and in basically every... Um, sort of first sermon of all the people that we read about in the Bible, Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, Peter, they all started with confess and repent. And so following confession, we have repentance. And I think, I feel like this one's been thrashed around a bit at Blueprint in the last little while, but for those who haven't heard this one before, just that, um, yeah, repentance is not just a feeling, but repentance is an action. Repentance means reorienting and going in another direction, which is towards God. It's an action, not a thought. And this means that there's always follow through, which is often uncomfortable, like going to rehab or cleaning stamps off a wooden castle. Now, John the Baptist told the Pharisees to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I think that's 
That's, that's, the one, that's the line that stands out to me the most from this whole passage. And I think that fruit in keeping with repentance is quite different to a life that produces fruit. In the view of the Jewish people, the Pharisees probably did have very fruitful lives. They would have been um, the cleverest, the smartest, um, kind of the same thing really, I guess. They put, um, they put great effort into keeping the law. Um, they pro- probably actually gave to the poor. But clearly this is not the fruit that John is talking about. He's not talking about how many great things we do, what we lead, um, how much we give. If repentance is changing our course, then it makes sense that fruit in keeping with repentance is simply moving towards God. Well, what is moving towards God then? Right? How, how do we move closer to God? And in, in my experience, one of my biggest learnings like, in faith is that there is one thing that is more important than anything else in drawing us close to God. And it's knowing that I desperately need him. And when I lose touch with that fact, that I'm powerless to create my own liberation, I don't go to him. Because if, if we think we create our own freedom, why would we go to him? Because of how painful confession and repentance is, we won't go to God unless we know we have no other option. That Jesus is the only way. If we think there is another way, or we know best, why go through the pain of trusting God? In the scripture, God makes this very, uh, John makes this very explicit. He says, this is the way to God, and this is the only way. When we fully know that God's way is the only way, we will say to God, I will do whatever it takes. And this would be fruit in keeping with repentance. An attitude that says, God, I will do whatever it takes. That's what, that's what John's talking about. Because God is the only way. Because, yeah, if we, if we have conditions on what we will or we won't do, if we say, God, I'll do this, or I'll give up this, but not that. What we effectively are saying is we know better and we move in another direction and that direction is not towards God. And I believe if we respond like authentically to God, he will always put us in a space where we discover our need for him. Whether that's in our workplace, whether that's Um, at the free store, or just getting through the day. God wants us in a place where we will discover that need for him, because otherwise we actually won't choose him. Point two, a repentant life is one that recognises our need for God. A repentant life is one that recognises our need for God. And this verse obviously also touches on judgment, um, which is probably the one of the three that we struggle with the most, I would say. Um, but whether we struggle with it or we just ignore it, right? And I don't, think, I don't think there's actually any reason to kind of put it in the too hard basket, because Jesus actually gives us a really good indication in Scripture of what kind of grinds his gears. So if you look at all of Jesus' interactions with people throughout the Gospels, there's actually some quite strong common threads. When Jesus 
sort of rips into people. It's not because of how sinful they are. It's not even because of their wealth or their status. But it seems to be pride and leading others astray. And that's, yeah, what, what the Pharisees and Sadducees would do was create barriers to, uh, barriers to other people um, in meeting with God and spread false teaching. They would put themselves in the judge's seat and play God, deciding who was in and who was out. That's when Jesus came down on people like a ton of, ton of bricks. And yeah, if, if we look at Jesus' interactions, he was pretty ruthless with the Pharisees and leaders, but not always. For example, um, there's the scripture with Jairus, who actually sounds like he was one of the top, top guys. Even among um, the religious leaders, he was the patron of the temple. So it would have been right up there in the social strata. But, as it says in the verse, he fell to his knees in the dust before Jesus, begging him to heal his daughter. And similarly, even though he's not a Jewish religious leader, um, the Roman centurion, who um, invites Jesus to heal his servant and says, you don't even need to come into my house. I know you can do this. And it comes back to that thing. He wasn't rugged on anyone who recognised that they needed him. He wasn't rough on anyone who needed him. And what we, yeah, and elsewhere what we see, like, again and again, is Jesus meeting people with an immense grace. An immense grace. It seems to me, it's only when we don't think we're in need of that grace, or when we run from it, that we don't receive it. Yeah. And if we go, if we go back to that verse about the son, I mean about the father giving the son um, a fish instead of a snake, um, I think this applies to judgment too. I think, like, if you can imagine that we were the judges of each other, and we knew the depths of each other's stories, I think we'd actually be pretty gracious. When you know the full story of someone, and when you know, yeah, their brokenness in the context of their full story, it's pretty hard for anyone to be really rugged, eh? And then if that's what we're capable of, how much more will God be loving and gracious in his treatment of us? And John, um, yeah, John gives us an example of um, the pride of this pride when he when um, he calls out the Pharisees on mentioning on resting on the fact that they're children of Abraham. Um, in Jewish society, apparently around that time, the Pharisees had started teaching that your Jewish birth was enough to get you into heaven just by itself. Um, and John, of course, is absolutely scathing towards the idea, as it basically um, was used as a justification for judging other people. And this is not too dissimilar to what we're talking about um, with regard to repentance. Again, it seems to be that when we recognise our need for God and humble ourselves, we enter the incredible, life-changing grace of God. Yeah. And so, to recap, point one, confession means fighting against shame and fear. Point two, repentance is recognising our desperate need for God. 
And point three, God's judgment must be understood by looking at Jesus and looking at his character. And I think at the moment we actually find ourselves in a place that's not too dissimilar to those um, who John was speaking to. The king is coming, both in the sense that we await Christmas and in the building of Advent, but also in the wider sense that we are awaiting the coming of the king, the return of Christ. And so I think the call to us is the same as it was to those people back then. To continue to confess, to speak against shame in our own lives and in others. To live in repentance and say, God, I will do whatever it takes to be close to you. If that means turning my life upside down, yes, God, because you know best. This judgment is also coming. But I really hope that we don't need to continue to tie that idea to ideas of wrath and eternal fire. I think it's only a scary word because human judgment's pretty crap a lot of the time. If we truly believe that God is so overwhelmingly good and trustworthy, then we can wholeheartedly wait with hope and expectation for the coming of his kingdom. And so I think, yeah, I might invite Nick up here, wherever he is. And yeah, I think the invitation for tonight, just before we invite the full worship team up here, I might just take a few moments to meditate on this stuff. And we'll just, yeah, just some soft, soft sounds in the background from that. Yeah, I think the invitation for tonight is to repent and to confess. But I really want to just emphasize that tonight this will be devoid from shame, guilt, and fear. That this stuff that we do tonight, this repenting and confessing, has nothing to do with that. In fact, it is the complete opposite. And I think, yeah, if we could reflect on two things in particular. Think on where we have bought in to the voice of shame and fear and allowed that to rule our lives. And it might even be that actually just engaging in this process tonight might be a real battle. And my challenge would be to really think, if it's feeling difficult, what would the voice of truth say? What would the voice of God say? Um... Yeah, amidst shame and fear. And then second, what is getting in the way of us living a fully repentant life? Of us giving God a full yes? um, And of saying, yes God, I will do whatever it takes.